Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. Uh, I'm going to get into this word, but before I do, I want to tell you a little something about me. I'm a, number one, I'm a holler back preacher. Pastor Matt alluded to it a little bit. So if something's good, you can say amen. You can say preach. Some of y'all, you can even say preach black boy. I won't get offended. You can let it be known, and we're going to have a good time in church. I believe church should be enjoyed and not endured. And so I pray that as we gather around the word of God for the next 35 to 40 minutes that you will be encouraged. Um, this morning, uh, I was getting ready with my wife, and we were getting ready to drive here. And I just felt God kind of change my message for you. Um, I, I had kind of a set design of where I wanted to go, um, but, but I felt like the Holy Spirit kind of shifted my message a little bit. So I've only been here. It's only my first time here, and I'm already giving your media team a hard time. But we're going to figure this out in Jesus' name. And so I'm going to be preaching out of the same passage, but I want to kind of give it a different title. I'm going to kind of take a different take on it because uh, I believe it's prophetic for this house. So if you guys don't mind, can we stand for the reading of God's word as we dive into the word of God, if that's cool? Ah, oh, man. And today we are going to be in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, a very famous passage of scripture. As Jesus is having a conversation with a man who's young, rich, and has authority. And uh, we're going to dive into this a little bit. And this is what it says. It says, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, well, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And, and, and the young ruler said to him, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And I love Jesus. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. response of this rich young ruler was he was disheartened by the saying he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions you guys have been in a sermon series called misconception and, and what a misconception is is basically when you have an improper view of something because of wrong thinking and I, I, I it took me about 25 years to have a proper understanding of repentance see I come from the Pentecostal church I don't know if y'all know I come from the we were shouting in tongues. People were, were dropping in the spirit mid-service. People not even laying hands on them. They were out the hula hoops and the tambourines in Jesus' name. I'm talking about we had people in the congregation joining the worship set. Just hit. I was like, you know, and, 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 and something that I thought, and I, and I don't think it was necessarily their intention or their fault, but something in the churches that I was raised, and I thought that, was, that repentance was changing what you do. But in reality, biblical repentance is changing the way that you think. And, and, and what Jesus said in his word, he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And what he was expressing and saying to a generation of people is get on heaven's level of processing and you will change what you do. And so my prayer for all of us is, is as we dive into my new title for the media team, let's go. I want to speak to y'all from the topic of the misconception about repentance. The misconception about repentance, and I believe the spirit of God is going to have his way, so let's look to heaven. Father, we love you. Uh, God, I, I ask humbly that you would uh, use me to speak to these people. Um, Lord, my words by themselves don't have much power or authority, but when your anointing and your power gets upon the rhema, things can happen inside of us, God. And so, Lord, I pray for every single person who is here. May they know that they're not here by accident, every person, Lord. 
this has been predetermined by heaven for every single one of us to be in this room. So heaven, we say, come. Holy Spirit, have your way and do what only you could do. God, I thank you that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall never pass away. So let it come forth with power, boldness, and authority, and have your way, God. Let the decrees and the oracles of God be yes and amen. And speaking of oracle, God, the warriors are in trouble. So we pray, God, that you would bless them as we go through the valley of the shadow of death. And all God's people said, amen and amen. High five a couple people as you're seated. I don't know. The oracle came out. I just felt it. Came out organically. Um, I, I have a football background. I, I'm originally from uh, the Los Angeles area, born and raised. And I came to the Bay Area um, to play football at San Jose State University. After being there for about a year, God radically called me into ministry. I, I left the game that I loved and the school that was being paid for and entered into ministry to be an intern. One of the wildest things I've ever done. And uh, I started interning at a church for about six months, and they asked me at 20 years old to take over our young adults ministry, with it, which at the time was about 15 people. And uh, from there, my wife and I, we've had the opportunity to lead it, and God has done very, very great things, immeasurably more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. But, but having a football background, I've had uh, two ACL surgeries. going to be going on my third, hopefully, in October. Uh, the anterior cruciate ligament has not been good for your boy. Now, well, what the anterior cruciate ligament does is it basically is this small, like, two-inch tendon that's in the back of your kneecap. And what it does is it basically keeps your kneecap from shifting when you plant or when you pivot. And so I, I've torn my ACL multiple times. But one of the ways that, that you find out whether or not you have a, a tendon issue or, 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 a, or a muscle issue, you don't go get x-rays, but you actually go get something that's known as an MRI. Now, what an MRI is, it is magnetic resonance imaging. And what you do is you get in this small little tube, and if you're claustrophobic, I'm telling you right now, it is not fun. You get in this small tube, and for about 15 minutes, you hear some of the most obnoxious noises that you've ever heard in your life. Like, it literally sounds like car alarms combined with dogs barking, combined with orangutans. I mean, you're just in this small tube, and you're hearing a ton of, uh, of chaos. Now, I want to tell you something about the multiple MRI experiences that I've had. I've had three in my life. What, what, what the magnetic resonance imaging does is it just confirms that I have a problem. It's imaging that confirms that my ACL is torn. It's imaging that confirms that tendons in my knee are not doing okay. It's just the process of, 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 of this magnetic resonance imaging looking into the inner parts of my knee to confirm that I have an issue, to confirm that I have a problem. But what I want to say is that I've had a lot of uh, magnetic resonance imaging sessions, three to be exact, and there has never been one moment where I went into that machine and I came out healed. Um, it doesn't change anything. It just confirms that I have a problem. What I want us to understand about the laws of God is it's similar to magnetic resonance imaging, but it's the magnetic res resonance imaging of your soul. It, the, the laws of God show you that you have a problem. The laws of God show you that you have issues. I put it like this. Jay-Z said, I got 99 problems, but the devil ain't one. What I want us to understand is that well, what happens in our, in our faith is the laws of God are placed before us to let us know that we have issues, that we have problems, that we have frailties, that we have weaknesses, that we're not okay. But what I want us to understand is that the laws of God do not have the ability to change you. It just has the ability to confirm that there's an issue. 
that, that there's a problem, that there's something happening in the innermost parts of our souls that we cannot fix on our own. But I think we struggle with that sometimes. The fact that we can't fix ourselves. The fact that we don't have the ability to obey on our best day. The fact that we don't have the ability to raise ourselves up to the standard of almighty God. And sometimes we can become very frustrated in church because we're worshiping, but we're focused more on our performance rather than Jesus's performance for us. And what I want to do is I want to look at a passage of scripture that is very, very famous. And I just want to deal with a massive misconception that a young, passionate ruler has as he's looking at the son of God, but doesn't necessarily understand who he's looking at. One of the first observations we notice about the rich young ruler is the fact that he's passionate. And I love passion. I love passion because passion is attractive. I remember a few years ago, uh, my sister, she was super, super passionate about juicing. She got herself a juicer, and that's all she wanted to talk about. She's like, Chase, I got myself a juicer. I I've been juicing things. I'm like, what you been juicing, girl? She's like, I've been juicing carrots, and I've been having carrot juice, and, and I've been having uh, avocado juice. I'm like, avocado has juice? She's like, I I've been having plum juice. I've been having prune juice. As soon as she said prunes, I was like, nope, not for me. Prunes, too much. And so she, But she was really, really passionate ab about juicing, and, and, and the thing about passion is it's attractive. It really is. And so what, what I really wanted to say to you, Fountain Church, is before we even get into this story, don't be ashamed of your passion. Don't be ashamed of your passion for Jesus, because whether you know it or not, passion is so incredibly attractive. And when we are passionate about Jesus, organically, we begin to share with our friends and with our coworkers and people that we come into contact with. And if the, and if the Bible is true and the enemy is the prince of the air, then what we must do to combat him is use the breath of God to speak into the air our passions about Jesus. And that's what begins to draw people and pull people towards the king of kings and the lord of lords and so what we hear what we see here is a very undignified young man in jewish culture it was not normal and it wasn't even customary for jewish men to run because it was undignified children run around but what we see is this young teacher and this young ruler who was so moved by the teachings of jesus that he's running towards jesus he has to he has to catch up to him because something happened inside of him when jesus spoke something took place in his heart when jesus's words became the come forth and I just sense that maybe some of you as the word of God is coming forth something's gonna burn inside of you that you cannot explain and so he's running towards Jesus and I picture him I picture him getting to him and he's out of breath he's like hey and Jesus is like calm down what's up and one of the first things he says is so incredibly wrong and it's such a massive massive misconception his opening line is, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to arrive through my moralism to a deity God-like state? What must I do to be like what must I do to inherit eternal life? Tell me, tell me the ways that I need to perform. T tell me X, 
Y, and Z. Let me know exactly what I need to do in order to get what you got. Let me know my performance. How, how do I need to measure up? And, and, and Jesus has a really awkward moment with him. He says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Now, the reason why this is awkward is Jesus is God. It's overwhelmingly clear in John chapter 1 as he's, as he's pitching his premise to nations that he's writing to. He says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. The word became flesh and it began to dwell amongst us. And all throughout the gospels, you see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John pitching the fact from different perspectives that Jesus is God. He is God in flesh, fully God, fully man. He came down to where we were in order to get a hold of us. And so the rich young ruler is standing before God and he calls him good. But Jesus' response is, why are you calling me good? Only God is good, which kind of took me down a, a long rabbit hole journey because I was really confused. I was like, Jesus, why would you respond like that? Sometimes I read my Bible and, and I just wonder, I'm like, that's an interesting response, Jesus. But what I love about the word of God, it says, if you search for me, you'll find me. And so I just kind of began to go on this journey. I'm like, God, wh why would you say to this rich young ruler through the inspiration of you and you alone, that why are you referencing me as good? Only God is good. And I've heard, I heard a lot of scholars who are way smarter than me. Your pastor's very, very smart, great teaching pastor. Facts, um, just a random fact. It's neither here nor there, but last time I was here, he blew my mind, anywho. Um, I, I went down this, I listened to a ton of scholars and a ton of perspectives, and, and, and something that I came across really, really stood out to me in the Holman commentary, as well as Timothy Keller, who's a very, very brilliant theologian. His perspective on this passage really kind of opened up my eyes a little bit. Be, because one thing we see is that when, the, when Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. We don't see a response from the rich young ruler saying, but you're God. And so what Jesus is doing in this passage is he's saying, why are you calling me good when you don't see me as the Lord and the Savior over your life? Because what you view me as, I will be for you. The way that you view me is what I will be for you. This is a very, very big deal theologically because we see in the Gospels that Jesus has three moments where he's marveled by faith and the lack of faith. Jesus is marveled three times in scripture, and the two times he is, the three times he's marveled, it has to do with the abundance of faith and the lack of faith. The first time we see him being marveled in a negative way is when he's in his hometown. He's in his hometown, and he's basically preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he's preaching the message of himself, and he basically goes into this city, and the Bible says that he can only do very few miracles there. Why? Because of their unbelief. Now, you know what's crazy to me? is the fact that he still did a few miracles. I'll tell you what, if one of y'all walked in here and you, you, had, you were like in a cast, you know what I mean, and, and you, you couldn't walk and you were on crutches and then you got healed, I'd be like, satisfied. Look what you just did, Jesus. You did it again. Absolutely unbelievable. You guys heard that beautiful story about that, about that young woman who was in a small group, I believe her father, who was struggling with cancer, healed. 
I'm like, that, that, that's something minimal. Jesus did a couple of those miracles in the town, and yet he left because the unbelief that was in the town. And it seems, according to the premise of Matthew in that specific gospel, that there was so much more that Jesus wanted to do in and through there that he could not do because of the lack of faith. Because they viewed him as just a man that was born out of wedlock and not born of the spirit. And so he could only be for them what they viewed him to be. But then we see this other moment where he comes across a Roman centurion. You know what I mean? And this was a pagan dude. You know what I mean? This wasn't even a dude who was allowed to come into temple. This was a dude who was empowering the Romans to continue to oppress and rule over the Jewish people. And, and he comes to Jesus and he says, my, my servant is sick. And Jesus, out of assumption, says, take me to him. And the Roman centurion responds and says, no, I don't even need you to go to him. In the same way that I give orders to my men and I tell them to go here or there, give orders to the human body and tell it to come back into alignment and it'll be done. Just give the word, speak it into the atmosphere because you are the living word and it'll happen. Just say it. And you know, this, you know what his response is? He says, surely I have not seen all of, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Surely I haven't seen nothing like this. And he gave the word, and that man was instantly healed in the time that the word left his lips. And right here we see a young ruler who is passionate, educated, and affluent, and yet his view of Jesus is jaded. And he views him as a good teacher and not as the teacher. And if we're all being vulnerable, which hopefully we Sometimes I, I find myself viewing him as the prophet, having an unhealthy God concept in my mind of who he is and thinking that grace can save me, but grace can't keep me. Thinking that grace can save me and my works will keep me. And what's happening in this moment with the rich young ruler is Jesus says, why are you calling me good? No one is good but God. And then he says to him, you know the rules, don't you? You know what the rules say. Don't commit adultery, don't defraud. You know the law. And yet this young ruler is basically saying, yes, I know the law, but I'm still not satisfied. Yeah, 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 I, I know the rules of what I need to do, and I'm still not satisfied. I've been going to church. I've been giving my money. I've been reading my Bible. I've, I've been praying. I've, I've been in community. I'm dotting my eyes. I'm crossing my T's, and I'm still empty. Church can't save you. Going to church does not make you a Christian as much as going to McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. church cannot save you. The church cannot satisfy you. The church cannot fulfill you. No. Jesus is the chief cornerstone of this whole thing. What is the cornerstone? The cornerstone is the most important part of the building. If the cornerstone gets removed, everything falls down. And church, I want you to know that we are here so that you might know Jesus. Be in relationship with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Know him. Be satisfied in 
and who he is for, for you. And, and there's this moment, y'all, in the Gospels where, where Peter is taken to a region of Caesarea Philippi. Y'all know Peter. He's the hothead. I love Peter. I can relate. I told him, I love Peter. They're going to take Jesus. Let me take this guy's ear off. Ah! And she's like, what are you doing, Peter? He just heals it. Here, take your ear back. Stop, Peter. But there's this moment where, where, where Peter is taken to Caesarea Philippi. Now, Caesarea Philippi was a really, 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 really pagan-driven city. I mean, Jesus took him to a spot where, uh, 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 where, uh, uh, where Caesar had, had built, or excuse me, Herod had built a temple for Caesar. And then in the engraftings of the mountains, there was the ancient god that was known as the god of Pan. And this carpenter, who was very, very normal looking, who didn't have, probably didn't have light, beautiful blue eyes. Who probably didn't float when he walked. He was fully God, he was fully man. Even Isaiah is very clear that there was nothing really that spectacular about him. And yet he claimed to be God and Jesus takes the, the 12 to this monument that has been built towards the gods that oppose who he is. He takes them before the monument, monument of Rome, who is, who is literally ruling over the majority of the known world, and the god of Pan that is engrafted into the mountains. And at this time period, contextually, the Israeli people were not ruling. They were not reigning. They were not thriving in their society. God's chosen people were being ruled over by a pagan nation because of disobedience. And that is the moment that Jesus chose to come. But more so than come, that was the moment that he chose to pop the question, who? Who do people say I am? Don't be surprised if Jesus, through Holy Spirit, takes you to some of the largest things in your life that seem bigger than he is, and he asks you, what do you believe about me? Don't be surprised if he takes you to the mountain of cancer, what do you believe about me? Don't be surprised if he takes you to the mountain of finances, who do you say that I am? Don't be surprised if he takes you to the mountain of depression, who do you say that I am? Don't be surprised if he takes you to the mountain of anxiety, what do you believe about me? No, what do you believe about me? And y'all, at this time, don't miss it, there was no resurrection. There were some miracles that happened. But Peter says, you're the Christos, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And, and Jesus, who's, ooh, ooh, always added in, ooh, Simon, I'm about to change your name. <laughs> now that you told me who I am, let me tell you who you are. Surely flesh and blood did not reveal this to you but my Father in heaven. And I say unto you, Simon, that your name is now Peter or Cephas. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Who do you say that he is? And the young ruler's confession of who he was was he was just a really good moral teacher that he wanted to be like. What do I have to do? like, well, you're already doing it, aren't you? You're already doing it. You know the law. And you almost sense the frustration in the passages the rich young ruler is like, I've done all these things. And Jesus goes past religion into relationship. Don't miss the verbiage and the intentionality of Mark's gospel 
he inspired by the Holy Spirit what he says. I love this because this is huge. In verse 21, he says, in Jesus looking at us. This haughty young man who thinks he can be God, Jesus looks at him. into the depths of his soul. And even the, in the original language that this was written in, when it says he stared at him, it's this idea, the word that is used here in the Greek, it's this idea that he looked in the, into the innermost parts of who he was. He looked at him through the perspective of I knew you before you were even in your mother's womb. Intimacy with him. He looks at him and he's like, past the long, let's go into relationship. Lack one thing. Lack one thing. Why don't you sell all that you got, give it to the poor, and let's go. Follow me. Let's let, let this thing that you hold so closely to you, let it go, and, and let's go. Let it go, and let's go. Frozen, let it go. Let it go, and let's go. And then all of a sudden, it hits him like a ton of bricks. He's like, oh, man. My money? My affluence? My authority? And the passion suddenly comes again, and it becomes lessened. Because he had a massive, massive misconception. And the misconception was this. I can be God. Now I know y'all are spiritual, you'll never say it. We'll never say it. But if we go back to the, the book of Genesis and we look at the original temptation, you'll be like God. And the more you work to be God, the more you will be so dissatisfied and distasteful and empty because you're working to attain something that has already been attained. You're working to become something that you already are. You're working to get something that you already have. You know the hardest part about the gospel? Can I have somebody come up and play the keys to make it more spiritual? <sighs> it just always sets the atmosphere. Good old underscoring. Just helps everything. You, you, know, you know one of the hardest things about the gospel? Like, like, truly. The hardest part about the gospel for me is believing it. It's believing it. So there's nothing that I can do to earn God's love. So God doesn't love me any less. 
than when he doesn't love me any less or any more than he currently does always regardless of what I do? No, no, I got no. That, that's, not, that's not how I was raised. You earn love. You, you earn gifts. You earn no. No, 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 no. That's too far, preacher. That's too far. And so then all of a sudden, church, it becomes a country club for saints. It becomes a highlight reel of the work that we do in the week to be spiritual. No, no, no. We need to celebrate the good works that come from a good relationship with Jesus. But it points back to goodness that comes from heaven and heaven alone. And sometimes what I've recognized in the church is people feel closed off to walking into the building because they have a misconception about God. And they think that I need to be changed before I come to God as if we can somehow change ourselves in order to get God's approval. And then God will bring people across your path to challenge you to see how far grace goes. So how far does grace go to that annoying coworker? Can, can I tell you all a story as we get ready to conclude? Oh, I got six minutes. I'll tell you, Fountain Church makes me preach short. I feel good up here. Take a five-second praise break for time. Wow. I preach like 57 minutes at Encounter every Tuesday and Sunday night. Keep us in prayer. Anyway, I one of the coolest moments I ever experienced was this year. I had a woman who was saved. Who, who had only been saved for about six months and her three daughters got saved encounter over the last 25 months has seen over 1500 people make public decisions to follow Jesus and y'all I'm crazy like I make them come forward every week and publicly declare your faith like, like I'm a wild preacher I'm like if you can't come forward and publicly declare it it's hard to declare it in the world and so this is like 1500 people that we've given Bibles to resources to like we give altar calls every week I'm like you can't go public it's awkward and we make them walk it out when it's called the heart like heaven moment and it's powerful. So we have this woman who, who has three daughters. She got saved. All three of her girls got saved. And one day she walked up to me. She had a letter in her hand. And, 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 and she said, hey, this is from my boyfriend who's getting ready to, to be my husband. Or excuse me, my fiance is getting ready to be my husband. And I, and I looked on it and I was like, oh, it's a prison. And I was like, your husband's a gangster. And she was like, yeah. And, and, I, and, I, and, and so I'm like, man, this is interesting. She's like, he, he's, been, he's been sneaking a phone every Tuesday night to watch our services, and he's been watching you for three months. I was like, he's been sneaking his phone in prison? I was super in thought. Like, oh, uh, your husband's bad. Wow. And I, and I, and I was, she's like, he, he wants to write you. He's thinking about getting saved, but there's something hindering his decision. I said, huh. So what I did is, after the service that night, great service, I went backstage by myself in our little green room, and I just kind of cracked it open. And first of all, I was amazed at this young man's penmanship. He was such a good writer. I had to, like, when I wrote him back, I had to type because he wouldn't have been able to read it. And so I was just like, just an incredible writer. And I opened up the letter, and I began to read his writing. And he's like, you know, I, I'm in here because in my 20s, I had a double homicide. struggling believing that because I've taken life that Jesus wants to forgive me 
in that moment, the question I must ask myself is how far does grace go? What is my proper perspective of repentance? Does the grace of God truly wipe away every sin, every past mistake, and every frailty? No, 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 no. I know we're clapping and I know we love it, but sometimes it can be so uncomfortable when a person who is transgender walks into your service. When a transvestite walks into your service and they're coming, Fountain Church. The broken are coming. The marginalized are coming. The oppressed are coming. The hurting are coming. They're on their way. And in that moment, we have to ask ourselves, how far does grace go? And do you know how I measure that grace? I do not look at that person. I look in the mirror at myself. How far did grace go to get me? Again, Jesus was up on a mountain, right? Thank you, Lord, your glory's here. Jesus is up on a mountain, and, and he's preaching a message, and he's preaching a message about how perfect God is. He says to the people, you know the law. The law says, do, no, do not murder, but I say unto you, if you look upon another brother with hatred, you've done it in your heart. Look, you know the law. Do not commit adultery, but I say to you, if you look upon a woman with lust, you've done it in your heart. He set God's perfection so incredibly high, and he ends this three-day sermon, y'all need to be thankful, he ends this three-day sermon with this phrase, be perfect like my father is perfect. And they're like, oh my gosh. And you can imagine them on the mountain like, how are we going to be perfect? Like, God, uh, we're in trouble. And then he's like, okay, let's go down the mountain. And then guess who shows up at the bottom of the mountain? Guess who shows up in the valley? A man with leprosy. Literally, the epitome of imperfection and uncleanliness physically manifested at that time period. His ears probably falling off. His skin completely deteriorated. He falls at the feet of Jesus. And he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And I know some of those people are like, ooh, he about to get it. I don't know if it was your daddy's sin or if it was your own sin or if it was your grandpa's sin. But you, ooh, that it, ooh, he ain't perfect. And I picture Jesus just turning around being like, yeah, I'm willing. Wait, what? I'm willing. And this was the first, one of the first miracles on record that Jesus is the epitome of cleanliness, holiness, and everything that is lovely. He stretches out his hand and touches the unclean. Now, according to their law, if that which is clean comes into contact with that which is unclean, it too will be made unclean. And yet Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, and this is a gospel moment on full display. He's like, this is what it takes. This is how you get clean. This is how you be made new. Understanding that you cannot be perfect and that's why I'm here. I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. I'm willing to touch your infirmities. Be cleansed. And then I have to measure myself. Oh God some of the thoughts that I have. God, some of the things that I've done in my past. God, some of the mistakes that I've made. Lord, I could go through the list of how you've loved me and you've forgiven me and you've cleansed me and you've made me new. Oh God, you've been so good to, to me and yet I'm looking at a man and his left
letter who seems to have more extreme sins than I do as if that's a thing? You know what I told him? I hopped on my keyboard. I said, brother, let me tell you about this man who knew no sin, who became your double homicide on that cross so that you could become the righteousness of God. Y'all, the next letter, he prayed that prayer, and I led him to Jesus via letter. And now he's currently as a small group in his prison, and he's leading it. And every two or three months, we write each other, and we talk about biblical counsel and, and biblical advice. Now, I just want you guys to know that this rich young ruler's perspective was so incredibly wrong. Why? Because he thought in the very beginning, what must I do to be righteous? What must I do to get to heaven? What must I do to make it to the other side? And Jesus is saying, look, there is no way. That is the biggest misconception you could ever believe about yourself. Let me tell you about repentance. It's not about changing what you do. What? No, it's not about changing what you do. came to change how you think because if I could get your mind I can get your actions if I can get your mind I can get your actions out of the heart flows the wellsprings of life fountain church out of this place the fountain flows but this gets in the way of the flow <laughs> he's like so I came to transform this so when this is transformed you'll live so can I just say, Fountain Church, this morning, to wherever you're at on your spiritual journey, that works have not saved you, and they will not keep you. You have grace that has saved you, grace that has saved you, and grace that will keep you. And the grace that I'm referencing is not only a grace that forgives your sins, but it's a grace that empowers you by Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit alone to be something that you don't have the ability to be on your own. And so can I encourage you that in your struggle, worship through it. Can I encourage you that in your addiction, worship through it. Can I encourage you that in your transgressions, worship through it. And one of the most awkward things that you can do is be honest with God. And so many, so many Christians have mastered cosmetic Christianity. They just come in with filters. Oh, let me show you Valencia this morning. I got a fresh Valencia filter for you, God. As if God, as if God didn't come to get the real you. And this is why being vulnerable in church is so difficult. It breaks my heart that men can't be honest, that women can't be honest. And what you do when you do that is you diminish the blood of Jesus and its ability to reach and its ability to have power over you. That day of church is over. It is done. God is searching for a people throughout the earth that will worship him in spirit and in truth. And when I lean into my weakness, I experience the strength of heaven. So Fountain Church, you have repentance on you. You have a changing of mind on you. Let us not be like the rich young ruler, but let us be in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, by his strength and his strength alone. Honest. You know what I wish this rich young ruler would have did? Is I wish he would have just got to the heart of the issue before he resumed Jesus. What would it look like if he ran up and he says, good teacher, I got a money problem. Money's got me, man. I care so much about my finances. 
I can't, I, I'm having a problem being generous. What would it look like if we came to church and we're like, God, I got a lust problem. God, I find myself looking at things that I should not look at and I hate it about myself. But you and me are the hope of glory. What if we came to church and we're like, God, I got this anxiety issue. Like, I don't know what's going on with me. I don't know why I am this way, God. My sinful nature is at war with the spirit inside of me. God, I'm struggling. I guarantee you it changes the way you worship. So I can lift my hands in spite of what my hands have been doing. Let it flow on you, son. Let my glory reign. Let my forgiving power reign over you. In conclusion, Fountain Church, you know the moments that you experience the grace of God the most? When you feel like you deserve to. Last story. Now we're done. One of the hardest things I ever had to do in my life. Truly in my life. Had a pornography problem. Couldn't shake it. Couldn't shake it, y'all. Struggling. Literally just started working at the church. Wasn't a pastor at the time. God is gracious for that. Just had this pornography problem. Couldn't stop looking at my phone, man. One and two couldn't stop. And I, I got a small group of kids that I'm leading. I'm doing spoken words on our main stage in front of thousands of people. And I'm going into my worship experience feeling condemnation. You are something wrong rather than you've done something wrong. And then one, one morning I'm hearing this message about the grace of God by our senior pastor. A beautiful message about Romans that while we were still in our sin, Christ died for the ungodly. And as he was speaking on the book of Romans, I was so moved in my heart because he's like, before you ever made the decision to get it right, do you know that he gave his blood for you? Someone needs to hear that this morning. Before you ever made the decision to get it right, he died for you. And all of a sudden, this gospel message hit my heart, and suddenly the focus was not myself, but the focus was Jesus. Suddenly the focus wasn't seeing myself in the biblical narrative, but it was seeing Jesus. In spite of me, he loves me. In spite of me, he uses me. You know what I did that day? I called the youth pastor. I was like, Pastor Dave, I need to meet, man. I got a problem. That was going on, and I came to his house. I'm like, man, I look at porn so much. He's like, do you? I was like, yeah. Because you know what I was expecting? I was expecting what happened my junior year when I confessed to the church to being sexually active with this young lady I expected to be pushed away I expected to be shamed y'all when, when, I, when I confessed to that the pastor literally made me go in front of the group and tell them what I did man I thought that if I'm honest if I tell the truth I'm going to have to confess it to everybody as if if Jesus isn't enough. So I went to this pastor in vulnerability back then. I got this struggle. And I I can't beat it. He's like, oh, Chase, you know the first thing he did? He grabbed me. And he wrapped his arms around me. He was like, oh, God loves you. He loves you right where you are. He loves you right where you are. He loves you. Suddenly, I, suddenly I, it dawned on me, I was like, whoa, so this is why Jesus came for this? 
But by the Spirit of God, years later, poor and free, and it's a testimony to Jesus' grace. Years of being pornography free in Jesus' name. But it only came from the truth of where I was. So as we conclude, do you have a misconception about repentance? Are you here saying, I'm going to change what I do? Well, can a young pastor from the Los Angeles area who lives in the Bay Area with his beautiful bride, can we just say to you that uh, why don't you get your mindset on what heaven has already said? And from that place, you'll begin to see organic changes in your life forevermore. Amen and amen.